Um, the actual verse is in Isaiah 26 and it's verse 3. It says, You will keep in perfect peace those whose minds are steadfast because they trust in you. Um, and I'm going to read um, some more verses within, within that context uh, from the Passion Translation. But um, I just felt... It's a verse that I just didn't seem to be able to put out of my mind for the week. So I just, again, looked for another verse this morning for communion and this one just was there on, in neon light. So I'm just sharing it with you this morning. Um, the Passion Translation starts at verse 1 and it goes through uh, and it contains that verse as well. The city is a stronghold for us. And it's talking about the city of God um, or the city that God is preparing. Uh, the Lord's salvation, like inner and outer walls, makes it secure. Open the gates and let the righteous, faith-filled people enter in. Perfect, absolute peace surrounds those whose imaginations are consumed with you. They confidently trust you. Yes, trust in the Lord Yahweh forever. For Yah, the Lord God, is your rock of ages. Um, it's a very powerful kind of verse because it's talking about salvation. And I was just thinking, how does, how does this, in a sense, tie into communion? Um, but it starts off talking about salvation being like an inner and outer wall of protection, insiders, outsiders. Or, in a bigger picture, the city has an inner wall and an outer wall, like a big medieval city. And uh, its walls are salvation. And, uh, you know, when you get saved, um, sometimes you just look back at it as a, something that ha an event that happened. And you sort of leave it back in time back there. But, you know, salvation, it starts there. And it, it, our understanding of it and it's um, the experience that we have in salvation just grows and grows and grows and grows and grows. It doesn't just happen there. Salvation is something that continues right through our life. We get more understanding. We get more knowledge and wisdom and revelation, whatever words you want to put in there, it doesn't stop there. And it's really important for us as we come around communion today, or not, I'm not saying really important, what I'm, what I'm saying is please be reminded that the salvation experience that you have had did not turn off there. No one pushed the stop button. It actually grows and grows and grows and grows and grows and grows. Never stops. A wonderful, wonderful experience that should be expanding more and more in our lives as we understand it more and get more revelation on it. Um, it's, and then it says, to open the gates and let the righteous, faith-filled people enter in. Isn't it great to be part of a city or part of a group or part of something God's doing that's filled with faith-filled people? Hey? As in, as in comparison to, what a wonderful place to be in. Now let the faith-filled people 
come on in. And that's what this city is, is full of, faith-filled people. And then it says, uh, perfect and absolute, um, this is the Passion Translation piece, surrounds those whose imaginations are consumed with you. They confidently trust you. And that imagination is the word mind in the one that I read uh, originally. But its, it's meaning actually is imagination. Um, and, you know, our imagination shapes our reality. That, that's just what happens. And so it's really, really important what we do with our imagination. And I believe that as we, as we travel through our salvation experience, we learn to understand how we train this imagination uh, to the word of God. We learn how to do it. Um, and we need to know how to do it so that our mind is stayed on Christ, so that our mind doesn't get diverted somehow onto something that causes us not to have peace. Even though there's all sorts of stuff going on around us, we should have that peace and that imagination and training that imagination as we, as we walk before God is just so, so important. I can remember initially um, being aware of doing, pulling down every imagination that is not of God. You know, you get a thought in your mind and you are physically and mentally aware that, hey, I need to pull that down and not go there in that space. Now, after a while, if you keep doing that, it becomes automatic and it just happens. Although on occasions, maybe something comes into your mind that's so big that you actually need to step back and say, hey, <laughs> that one's not a God, and line it up again with God's word and his promises. You know, God has given us so many promises and we need to hang on to them tightly and put our, put our imagination slap bang against those promises so that we walk in the reality of the promises and we remain faith-filled. So I love being in a faith-filled church. I love being in a faith-filled community. Um, there is just something inspiring about it and strong about it. Um, so it just says a little reminder, a little bit of reminder about that imagination and it doesn't go away. You might look at somebody who's older than you and say they don't have any troubles in that area. Wrong, wrong, wrong. It goes on. And it has to be constantly pulled into line. It says, yes, trust in the Lord Yahweh forever and ever for. Yah, the Lord your God is your rock of ages. And I've never seen it this way before. Isn't the Bible incredible? You can read it. Read it and read and read the same verse over and over again and all of a sudden one day something else jumps out at you. <laughs> That's because it's active and alive. And it's God's presence within the word. A rock of ages. Now, I guess I've always dwelt on the, on the rock bit that it's solid and firm and you can't slip, you know, you're not in the mud. God's placed your feet on the rock. But I just felt this morning as I was reading it, it's a rock of ages. And we go through ages and stages in our life. So we had salvation right back there, right back in the beginning of our, our walk with God. But then in the next stage or the next age that affects us, 
still the rock of ages to our, our youth, our teens, our young mums and dads and the next age. He's the rock of ages. He's just there right the way through. So this morning as we take communion, I just want to remind ourselves of the ever-present, ever-growing salvation of God that's always there as our rock that we can have trust in and rely in. And because of that, no fear, um, nothing can come against us in the sense of overcoming us because it's already been overcome. So let's just stand this morning. Lord, we just thank you for salvation. Oh God, in its entirety, we don't really understand only little bits and pieces of the magnitude that it provided for us as your son died on that cross. We are just so grateful that you are the rock of ages, Lord, the one that's ever present in our life. Lord, and we're just asking this morning that you would remind us through the week of the power that's in salvation. We thank you, Lord. It's just eating Jesus' name. We thank you, Lord, for the blood. We thank you, Lord, that it wasn't a one-off thing. But, Lord, it's a provision that grows and grows with our understanding of God and increases with our faith. Lord, we just ask for healing right now for anybody who needs it. Right now, and for those that we know that need healing, Lord, we bring them before you. Lord, we name them in our hearts before you, Lord, and just ask that your healing will be released right upon them right now in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Let's just drink in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. Amen. You may be seated. now. I think we throw it up and see who catches it.
be interesting. Oh, so enjoying the worship this morning. Whoever put that together, congratulations, you hit. You hit what I was going to speak on. <laughs> so, isn't it incredible how the Spirit of God just moves? And um, when you've got a, people that are in tune with God, how easy it is to flow when everyone is moving together. And I just studied something out this week. I got so much out of it. And it's about prayer. Prayer that changes everything. And prayer is not just a, um, a ritual or a religious format that we go and experience. But it is actually a dimension that we enter into. And we don't have to be like this guy that in this position to experience that. It can be in our car, it can be in our shower, can be anywhere. In fact, if I was like this, I'd have to have a plan how to get up again. So God has us that I believe it's a lifestyle that we're experiencing in prayer. It's entering into the presence of God. It's being in that incredible dimension. And prayer is not just a battlefield, but it's a courtroom. And I began to look at this concept of coming into the dimensions of where God is. And in a courtroom, you have a judge. And the judge that we have, or the picture that the scriptures begin to paint in the word of God is God the Father, who is supreme, is there. And um, no matter what accusation, no matter what comes against God's people, God the Father is the judge and has the say. And so I just want to read 1 Peter 1, 17. It's funny how this, the writing somehow has got started to get a bit smaller. Uh, 1 Peter 1, verse 17, it says, And remember that the heavenly Father to whom you pray is, has no favourites. Isn't that good? has no favourites. We're all his favourites. And he will be judge or reward you according to all that you do. So in this illustration, we find that God the Father is the judge. And you know, when a judge puts down that hammer, that's the end of the story. There is no negotiation. And we have someone that comes against us. And that's the accuser of the brethren. And over in Revelation chapter 12, and I love this scripture, in verse 10, then I heard a loud voice shout across the heaven. And it came, and it came at last. Salvation, and that's what Wilma was talking about. This is the uh, the fullness of salvation, the fullness of everything that was wrought on Calvary and power and the kingdoms of our God and the authority of his Christ. For the accuser 
of the brethren, uh, brothers and sisters, has been thrown down to the earth. Isn't that a great scripture? Here's the accuser. And, and when it begins to talk about prayer, many times in scripture, it gives a picture of a courtroom. And the judge is there, the accuser comes in, and the accuser has a legal right to be there in that sense of bringing complaints, a legal um, in law, a complainant in law. And it says here, and it says, and the one who accuses them before our God day and night. And then it says, and they have defeated him by the blood of the lamb. I love this. It's good to remind Satan of this. And by their testimony. And they did not love their lives unto death. And so there is an accuser. And I didn't, there was many pictures on Mr. Google that I could have used of Satan, but I like this one because it doesn't give him much prominence. And Satan is coming against the church. He's coming against God. And then we have Jesus, who is also in the courtrooms of heaven. And Jesus is the mediator, the blood of sprinkling. And over in Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 22, it says... And he has come to the assembly of God, the firstborn children who have their names written in heaven. And it says here, and you have come to God himself, who is the judge over all things. And you have come to the spirit of righteousness, uh, ones in heaven, and have now been made perfect. You have come to Jesus to the one who is the mediator of the new covenant between God and people, and to the sprinkling of blood, which speaks of forgiveness in shedding of the crying out for vengeance, like the blood of Abel. And so we have a mediator who paid the price. And when the accusations, when the legal right comes against God's people, Jesus is there. Here's the go-between. Here's the mediator who brings to naught every accusation, every possible way of coming against God's people. We, we see that he, and I, I love this um, portion of scripture, it's sort of, you know, you can imagine Jesus just laughing at the plights of the enemy, laughing at his tactics. We have power because of Jesus. And so... Prayer, and we were singing about let incense arise, let incense arise. And incense speaks to us of the prayer of the saints in the book of Revelation. It talks about a great bowl, and there's, got, there's coals, and there's fire. And it says that the angel that was there with this great bowl tipped it down to earth. And I believe in the time we're living in, prayer is become, going to become so much more powerful, so much more off uh, behind it than any other period of time in the history of the church. We are in the most incredible, amazing time where all the prayers that have gone up from generations to generations have been kept in heaven. Not one has been lost. Not one has slipped through the cracks. Everyone is kept there 
And God is going to say to that angel, tip it down, bring it back to earth. And I believe every prayer is going to be absolutely, incredibly powerful. So God has incredible things available in prayer. What is prayer? Prayer is not just conversation with God. Sometimes we think it's just communication with God. It's not just um, talking to God. It's not convincing God. And, you know, sometimes we, we almost try to convince God that this is the way he should do something. Yeah. <laughs> and, but it's not just that. It's entering into a zone of the spirit. It's entering into that realm where he is. Whoops, why did that happen? I think I pressed the wrong one. It's stepping in to the spiritual dimensions of God, brought by the blood of Jesus. And as we step in to those spiritual dimensions, the price has been paid, the victory has been won, and things in the realms of the spirit get shifted. Not because of who we are, but because of our mediator who is continually mediating, continually making intercession for us. Amazing. We enter by faith. And when you have the combination of prayer, faith, it is a powerful combination because we unite ourselves. We, we, we know the finished work of the cross, how powerful it is. So we enter in to those realms, the courtrooms of heaven, on the basis of what he's already done, what's already been accomplished. So we bring heaven to earth. We enter into agreement with God. As our spirit is united to his spirit, we enter into that absolute agreement. Enter his courts with praise and worship. We enter with thanksgiving. We enter with a repentant heart. And it's amazing how many times when the people of God drifted away from God, how there was a priest or a king who would stand up before the people and repent he didn't isolate himself from the people. He would say, Lord, we are a sinful people. We come before you, God. And I believe that's a having repentance when we enter into the realms of the Spirit is so important. And God shares his secrets with his kids. He said, there's nothing that he will do that first he will not Reveal under his prophets. Isn't that exciting? That God shares his secrets with us. So prayer is not a battlefield, but it's a courtroom. A courtroom that we have already won. <laughs> you know, when you read a novel, uh, maybe a mystery, it's when you read the back couple of uh, chapters, you find out who's really the bad guy. Well, it's the same with us. 
We have read the end of the book and the book says we win. So when we enter into prayer, it's not from the, 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 um, the position of defeat. It's from the position of victory. So Jesus gave us a parable about praying, how we can pray. It says that one day Jesus taught the apostles to keep praying and never stop, never lose hope. <coughs> That's a declaration of faith, isn't it? Never lose hope, no matter how crazy the circumstances get. No matter how crazy the enemy comes against us, keep praying, never stop, never lose hope. He shared this with them about an illustration. In a certain town, there was a judge. I love the way the, tra uh, the passage indicates this. A thick-skinned, godless man who had no fear of others' opinion. And in the same town, there was a poor widow who kept pleading with the judge. She kept entering into the realms of the spirit and granted to me justice. She's after justice. She's after the things of God or the, the things that needed to be put right to be put right and protect me from my oppressor. And he ignored her pleas for quite some time. Ever feel that God isn't listening? <laughs> but she kept asking. She kept entering in. And he said to himself, this widow keeps annoying me, demanding her rights, <clears throat> and I'm tired of listening to her, <clears throat> even though I'm not a religious man and I don't care about the opinion of others. I'll give her. I will get her off my back by answering her claim for justice and I will rule in her favour and she'll leave me alone. And Jesus continued, do you hear what the godless judge said? That he would answer her petition, uh, persistent request. Don't you know that God, the true judge, will grant justice to all those who cry out to him day and night. He will pour out his spirit upon them. He will not delay to answer and give you what you ask. God will give swift justice to those that don't give up. I love that. Don't give up. So he ever praying, ever experienced in the same way as the widow. Even so, when the Son of Man comes back, he will find that sort of undying faith on earth. Isn't that incredible? God's given this illustration of just kept pressing in despite what's happening, keep pressing in despite what seemed to be the rejection from the, the unjust king, unjust judge. This woman just kept pressing in. And I believe God is looking for us to press in. We're sons of God and we've got the destiny of glory. God has a plan for the church to be a, a powerful force upon this planet. 
It's not a religious format that we enter into when we enter in to the realms of prayer. It says the maturity of God, our children of God are those who are moved by the impulse of the Holy Spirit. And you do not receive the spirit of religious duty. Sometimes you can go into a place <coughs> and there's eloquent prayers. It's not a religious duty. It's really living in the dimensions of where God is, leading you back into the fear of ever being good enough. And that's what religion does. Makes us feel we're not good enough. But you have received the spirit of full acceptance. And so we are acceptable, not because of who we are, because of who he is and what he's accomplished. Enfolding you into the family of God and you will never feel orphaned. Isn't that good? For as he has risen us up within us, our spirit joins him in saying, Tender words of an affection. Beloved father, Abba, which is sort of like daddy or papa. So we come in to the throne room of God, to the dimensions of God, to the courts of heaven, to the courtroom setting on the basis of us being in constant relationship with our father. And I remember when I was young watching uh, The King and I, a movie, and I remember seeing, you know, the sultans up there and he's the, you know, everyone's just on their face, just, um, you know, showing homage to the king. And in this movie, one of his children want to go and talk to their dad. So they ran through all this and sat on their father's knee. And that's the sort of attitude we enter into in prayer. The attitude of we can come to Papa God, we can come to our dad, knowing he has accepted us. It's not a religious format. It's the it's, it's spirit to spirit relationship that we have with him. The first dimension I want to have a look at, and I think there's quite a few, but I'm just trying to make it as simple as I can. Praying to the Father, Papa God. Our, we enter in on our own behalf into the realms of the Spirit. It says, it shall come to pass as he was praying in a certain place. When he sees that one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John also taught his disciples. So he said to them, when you pray, say, our Father in heaven. Now, often this has become a bit of a, a religious format, but the principles are there. When we come into the thrones of God, in that attitude of prayer, we come on the basis that he is our Father. And he's a good, good Father. And we can ask for our needs, our daily needs. We can ask for our personal um, needs to be met on the basis of who he is. And forgive us our sins and as we also forgive us and so forth. 
And the father brings to a family, he brings authority. And our heavenly father brings heavenly authority. A, a natural father shapes and prepares someone's destiny. And I believe as we're in that realms of the spirit, the dimensions of God, and, and it's a, more of a lifestyle than something that we just do here and there, it begins to shape our destiny, prepares us for that which lies ahead. And in that realms, there is unconditional love, no rejection. We come in on the basis of our daddy. So the second dimension I want to have a look at, when we come into those realms in the spirit, we can come in on behalf of others. We can approach it not only for our needs, but that of others. Jesus gives this illustration. Imagine what would happen if you were to go to one of your friends in the middle of the night, pound on his door and shout, please, you have some food. Uh, give me, have you, do you have some food you can spare? A friend has just arrived at my house unexpectedly and I have nothing to serve. But your friend says, why are you bothering me? The door's shut. My family and I are in bed. Do you expect me to get up and give you our food? I tell you, because of your shameless persistence, you're not giving up, even though it's the middle of the night, your friend will get up out of bed and give you all that you need. So it is with your prayers. Ask and you will receive. It's not conditional. This is what's promised. Seek and you will discover. Knock on heaven's door and it will one day open to you. Every persistent person will receive what he asks for. Every persistent seeker will discover what he needs. And everyone who knocks persistently one day will find an open door. How cool is that? Now, I believe there's a third dimension I just want to have a look at, and that is God always is looking for a reason to be merciful. He's, he can't help himself. When he's dealing with human beings, sometimes we mess up, we turn away from him, we do all manner of things, but he is so, so merciful. And I remember talking to someone who was a a prophet, and I remember them saying to me, I suspect God is far more merciful than we could ever imagine. And I thought, wow, that is true. So it says, ask of me and I will give you the nations. That speaks to me of absolute power in the courtrooms of God that we can come into that attitude of prayer and that dimensions of prayer that we can ask 
for the nations, for your inheritance. It's ours. If you have an inheritance, it belongs to you, belongs to God's people. And the ends of the earth for your possession. Now, I just went into Jonah. And Jonah was a preacher. <coughs> he lived in the Bible times. <coughs> and God said to him, go to Nineveh and preach about the wickedness of the place and how God's going to destroy it. And it was a capital of Assyria, which was the enemy to God's people. So Jonah thought, I'm going to Tarshish. I'm getting out of here. I'm going to Joppa and off. I'm going in the opposite direction. He ran from the call of God. He ran from the destiny he had. And we know the story is the big storm come. They ended up throwing him overboard. He was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. He got spewed up and I've, I've gutted many fish in Fiji. I know what's in the fish's stomach. It's not nice. Spewed him up on, just happened to be on the shores of Nineveh. <coughs> Cleaned himself up, no doubt. Went down and started to preach. The king, over 100,000 people got converted. They all turned to God. They put sackcloth and ashes and just repented before God. The whole place was saved. So this preacher goes and sits under a tree and sulks. I knew you'd do that. I knew it. You know, God just loves. No matter how wicked, no matter how absolutely horrible the, the way the people are turning away from the ways of God, God is always looking for a reason to be merciful. He can't help himself. And he's looking for us to be a people who will enter into the courtrooms of God, into the legal areas of God, and begin to make intercession, begin to cry out on the basis of what's already been accomplished, for areas, for cities, for regions and for nations. And there was a guy, Abraham, a father of all who believe. And one day, God turned up and in the form of three men to his tent, he brought them in and began to, they began to tell him that this time next year, his wife would have a son. Now, the guy's 99 years of age. His wife is 90 years of age. They've been trying to have children. I think God's first spoke to him when he was 75. <coughs> 25 years had passed. Totally, absolutely impossible. And she's out the back making some bread and she laughed. <laughs> As you would. <laughs> And to cut it all short, that time next year, she carried a child in her arms. But God began to communicate. There was such a relationship. Abraham was called the friend of God. Moses was called the friend of God. So they, these men, after they had done what they wanted to do and 
talked to Abraham. They looked towards Sodom. And Abraham went with them. And the Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham what I'm doing? And it's amazing how many times God speaks to his people beforehand to get them in that attitude and dimensions of prayer to bring an end to the enemy's devices and they enter in to the realms of the spirit. So, and the Lord said, shall I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do? And the Lord said, because of the cry against Sodom and Gomorrah is great, because there is sin is very grievous. And in the next chapter we find two angels in the form of men go down to Sodom and they go to Lot's house, Lot brings them in. And as he brought them in, all the men come and they want to have carnal knowledge with those men. And God struck them with blindness. So the condition, very familiar, but the condition was really bad of the city. And Lot, who was Abraham's nephew, is down in Sodom. And God says, I'm going to tell Abraham what I'm going to do. Isn't that great? That God would entrust his church to tell him of the secrets of his heart. I think that's amazing. And the great thing is he tells us how we're going to win. So, and then the men turned away from there and went towards Sodom. But Abraham stood before the Lord. Now, I just see this picture of standing before the Lord is Abraham and the city is down there. God found an intercessor. God found a man who would stand before God and man on behalf of this city. And it says, suppose, this is Abraham talking to God, just suppose if there were 50 righteous in the city, would you, he asked the question, slay the righteous with the wicked? So he's reminding God how he's a merciful and righteous God. And the, this man is pleading to God on behalf of the city. He's in negotiations in the spirit realms for the city where his nephew is. And it says, shall you, shall not the judge of all the earth do right? So he keeps reminding God of his word. <laughs> So the Lord said, okay, that's my interpretation. Okay, if, you find in, if we find in Sodom 50 righteous, and I guess Abraham's probably making mental calculations. Okay, Lot has a wife, two, two daughters. Um, I know they're engaged. Hopefully they are worshipping God too, has servants. He's probably making mental calculations. And it says, 50 righteous within the city. I will spare all the place for their sake. And Abraham answered and said, Indeed now, I who am but dust and ashes, 
have taken it upon myself to speak to the Lord. Suppose, <laughs> I love the way he's keep at it. He's, he, he keeps storming heaven to make uh, pleas to the Father for the city. Suppose five less than 50. Would you destroy all the city for the lack of five? He said, if I find 45, I'll not destroy it. He didn't stop there. He kept pushing in, pushing into the dimensions of the spirit. And he spoke to him yet again and said, suppose there shall be 40 found there. And then he said, let not the Lord be angry. I will speak. Suppose 30 shall be found there. And he says, so he says, I will not if I find 30 there. He doesn't stop. This speaks of consistent, pressing through, pressing in, just, just putting and availing himself just to negotiate. Suppose 20 be found. Then he goes one step more. How about 10? God said, okay. If 10 is there, the sad thing was there wasn't 10. And so these angels were sent down. And a long story short, God rescued because of the prayers of a righteous man who was the friend of God. Otherwise, Lot would have been in a lot of trouble. And so he came and he delivered them into another city. And we know the story, Lot's wife turned around, turned into a pillar of salt. Um, the, the women's uh, fiancés didn't make it. Only Lot and his two daughters made it. But here was a man who just kept at it, kept praying, kept crying out to God on behalf of others. And there was a guy by the name of A.T. Pearson who was a man that put out this statement. There has never been a spiritual awakening in any country or location that did not begin in united prayer. And one thing I have loved doing over the years is studying out revival. Every time I study out revival, it's quite amazing. You can usually trace back every single revival to a group of people who are on their knees before God, totally in the realms of the Spirit, making intercession for that place. And I remember reading an account in Scotland and um, John Wesley rode into this place and, and they had this absolutely phenomenal revival meeting. <coughs> the whole place, they even had slaying in the spirit back then, a whole place just got touched by God. And they're all sort of saying, that's wonderful. He said, hang on. See these two old ladies over in the corner? They've been on their knees for 20 years to see this day. Pressing in. I just want to encourage you, I really feel to encourage you to get into the realms of prayer 
to get into every prayer meeting you can. And I believe when things start to move here, there'll be a lot more prayer meetings. And, you know, wouldn't it be a shame? You know, I remember I had to go over to America for a few months and and one of the churches I was speaking at, they showed me what was happening in the place. And, And they're telling me all about it, about gold appearing all over their hands as they're in that dimensions of the spirit. And uh, my hand was just caked with gold. And then they're showing me, and when they're in that realm, something incredible started to happen as they were in united prayer. All of these precious stones started to fall. It was in Louisiana, which is sort of the redneck capital of of, um, America. And at these stones, I held them in my hand. And the pastor was telling me, he sent it to an analyst to see what sort of stones they were. And the analyst said, hey, where did you get them? He said, what do I tell this guy? He said, well, they turned up on the floor of our church when we were in worship. He said, I have never seen anything, this is not from this planet. I held them in my hands and, you know, I used to collect gemstones when I was a kid and it just reminded me of crystals, you know, sort of rose quartz or crystal. It was sort of a bit transparent. And anything can happen in corporate prayer. And I just... I sent a message over to one of my friends that were in Auckland the week before last and as they're in that atmosphere of the dimensions of God, they're praying for people, they looked down at their hand and it was dripping oil. <laughs> and I, I've got another guy I know over in America and I, I saw their account in New York, which isn't a godly place. And they're in this place And the whole of the atmosphere turned into like a fog. It was so thick and you could see the photo of the the dimensions of glory. And, you know, Jeff's been talking about the dimensions of glory that are available to us. And as we're in that, you know, faith, prayer and unity is a absolute incredible cocktail to bring down the dimensions of heaven to earth. And that same church also said there was um, these poor, they're actually adopted to this family. They were black kids in Louisiana, drug addict kids that this family brought in and adopted them. As they were in worship... $100 bills fell at this boy's, girl's feet. I mean, is anything too hard for God? And I just want to encourage you, you know, don't be home just watching the last day or last episode of Home and Away or something and Wednesday night there's a prayer meeting that happens and how would you feel if $100 bills were flying down the floor? You'd be thinking, I wish I was there. (laughs) Just encourage, just saying. But God is looking for us to get into the dimensions that are absolutely um, beyond 
the dimensions we've ever had before. And I believe we've got to be in an expectant heart because we're going to move into dimensions. And a few years ago, in our church back in Fiji, I stood up to preach this morning and I don't usually have much trouble talking. And I stood up and I couldn't do a thing. I couldn't open my mouth. And it would have been totally irreverent if I'd tried. And I just stood there, no idea what was happening really. And all I know was it felt like two bags of potatoes are on both shoulders. Then two, then four, then six. Like just pushing me. And I went to the ground, went to the floor. And there was a lot of, our kids were there. And our kids can be a little bit feral, you know. They, they're not there to please you. If they're bored, they're off roaming. And the dimensions of the spirit that came down. I'd never experienced any place that. And I'm on the floor and we were there for hours. And I'm trying to get myself out of the zone. It was so hard to get out of the zone. And I sort of got out of the zone because I was worried about the kids. I was thinking, man, I hope they're okay. I hope they're not roaming. And I looked and every child's on their knees like this, tears running down their face. I was worried about them. They had entered into those dimensions. For the next six weeks, you know, usually you know what to do. I had no idea. I said to a pallet, I don't know what to do. You just worship, and usually we just worship. And for six weeks, the power was so strong. And my secret place is my bath in Fiji because it's really hot. And so I remember the week after this, I went to my bath on Saturday and I'm just, I got into the zone. I would say into that realm I'd never been before. It was so tangible. And I'm totally lost in the realm. And finally, I get out of that realm. And I looked at my watch, this watch. I thought, what? Eight o'clock, the stupid thing's done something crazy. I remember hitting it. And it's pitch black. And I'm thinking, what the heck? It's black. Are we having a hurricane? That's what I thought. I grabbed the towel because it goes black when there's hurricanes. And so I walked into the kitchen. It was the same time. It was 8 o'clock at night. And I went, oh, I'd been in the bath eight hours. I just, I, I just couldn't believe it. In that zone for eight hours. And I, if you'd asked me when I got out how long you'd been there, I'd say, oh, one, two hours at tops. I couldn't believe it. I remember going to New Zealand and first church I spoke at, uh, the, the, the pastor's wife said, would you like to have a bath? I said, no, no. <laughs> I thought if I get in there, I mightn't get out. You know, there's realms of the spirit. We, when we're in that attitude that we can just soak in, that, that just the glory realms. And um, so there's revivals coming. We can come with great boldness into God. 
We don't have to grovel in. Well, you know, like sometimes you hear, Lord, if it be your will. Yes, it's his will. He's just looking for, for excuses to be merciful. And we can just just come in with such boldness, knowing that we have Jesus there who, who laughs at the enemy and says, no, no accusations. They're getting what they want. But he's after consistency. He's after us to not be flogged off by a little bit of opposition or whatever else, but to come boldly. And I just, I was just feeling it in our prayer meeting. If, if you feel you need a bit of ministry when we're in this corporate body, I'm just giving you a bit of an, you know, I just said to Tim, would you mind if it goes that way? I didn't have a clue where it was going, but if you want prayer today, just come forward. And in that attitude of corporate body, you know, where there's unity, there's blessing. Lord, that it was prophesied and declared over the great south land of the Holy Spirit. And Lord, we come as, as believers. Lord, we're not um, out there. We're part of this nation. We were born and bred here. And Lord, we just repent before you. Lord, for the sins of all of the nation of Australia, we stand in the knowing that he has paid the price for all sin. And Lord, we would even make a declaration that this shall be the land of the Holy Spirit. Lord, that the moves of God that are coming to this land are going to be unprecedented in any generation because this is the day that the Lord has made and we will rejoice in it. And we thank you, we stand and we declare on the basis of the finished work. Oh man, we're going to rejoice with you, Lord, at the great harvest that is coming into the kingdom of God. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amazing. Are we all challenged? This is when I get to tell you there's a prayer meeting Wednesday night. <laughs> a couple of um, announcements for us. I've got some really good announcements today, so um, get ready. You ready? Cool. They're coming. Firstly, roses. It's women's night this week. It's at Rose's house, if you don't know where she lives. Is it? Yeah. I, it is. I'm getting nods from everywhere. It's at your house. <laughs> um, <laughs> help Rose out. Bring supper. <laughs> um, get along to the women's night. I don't get there very often, but when I do, it is amazing. So make sure that you are there. Address is on the screen and we'll leave it up there for you if you haven't been before. Playgroup tomorrow morning. Can I tell you a real cool testimony from Playgroup? Because it sets the tone from another announcement I've got. Um, 
we've been coming in for playgroup on um, Monday morning. I come in and turn the coffee machine on because who knows some of our parents need to start the week right. Jesus first, coffee machine second. They've set the tone for their week and they can be the best mum ever for the rest of the week. Um, Our coffee machine, though, is not just um, for us. Our coffee machine is a blessing to our community. And so on Monday, um, I'd made coffees for all of our um, mums and helpers and I was just about to pack down the coffee machine and a staff member from the school walked past and they looked like they weren't having the greatest day of their life. They were just, they were having a moment. It was the first day back of term. There's kids yelling and screaming everywhere. They were just having a moment. And I was able to stand with that person for 20 minutes and chat through their day and pray with them and make them coffee, do the practical things as well as the spiritual things. So um, that's really exciting for us that, that that's going on. It's, that's one example. It's happened a number of times recently. But the reason I tell you that is because we've had a donations box on the coffee machine for a while and some people are using it and putting cash in there, which is amazing. It helps us continue um, that ministry of blessing people who um, need it. Um, and so we have made electronic donations available. So if you're like me and you never carry cash and it's that thing where you go, oh, got to go to the bank to get money to put into that, you don't have to. Give us your card and we'll tap it to our heart's content. <laughs> But there is a square machine out there at the coffee machine this morning. So if you want to give um, a donation towards that ministry, um, buy a card, see someone at the coffee desk and we will set it up for you. And you can just tell us what you want to put in. Is that okay? Amazing. Tuesday night's the women's night. Wednesday morning there is a women's catch-up at Beechworth Bakery. What a great space to catch up. We're all going to come to prayer meeting Wednesday night, which is awesome. Um, Two other quick announcements for parents, really. One of them is um, we have got Operoo now for our kids' ministry space and moving into our youth ministry space. Um, Operoo is a program that will allow you to share your medical information and your uh, consent for things like days out like we did yesterday. Um, you'll probably start to see emails come through to your email address. So if the email address that you've left us with church on the main church database is not the one that you check regularly and you're going to receive notifications from us, can you let us know so we can change it? Because stuff will start going out from there um, this week. The other um, last piece of exciting news is that um, we've had two kids days out but on the 25th and 26th we're having a kids night out and all of the parents with school-aged children said amen and all of those who haven't volunteered yet said we'll see Mel after the service And we're going to take those kids, weather permitting, we're going to take those kids to Bridgewater, um, to the caravan park. There's some really great facilities out there, which gives us the best of both worlds. So we'll be out in the elements, right next to a fully functioning kitchen. (laughs) So um, bear that in mind. It is during the week. It is the Wednesday, the day of the Wednesday of uh, Bendigo Cup Day. So it's a public holiday. If you were planning on going somewhere, don't 
you can go out for lunch with your wife or your husband. Drop us your kids and we'll have them for the day. Is that okay? More details to come. That will all come out via Operoo, so we need to make sure those email details are correct. All good? Amazing. Well, have a um, sensational week. Coffee is open. Go grab yourself a coffee. Feel free uh, to leave us a donation out there with that. And we will see you Wednesday night at 7.30 right here.